Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. Welcome to Movie Talk. On today's show, we're recapping the weekend box office. We're also discussing the fact that 2021 is the MCU's first year with four films hitting theaters. And then we're moving on over to streaming. Apple has movies hitting the big screen. Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to Collider Movie Talk. I'm Perry Nemroff, your host, and I am so excited to be having some discussions today with Koi and Roka. But first, on your call sheet, we're kicking it off, as always, on Mondays with your box office recap. So it was DreamWorks Animation new movie, Abominable, that took the top spot. It made $20.9 million, and on top of that, it got an A Cinema score. That's going to come in handy next weekend. Last weekend's big winner, Downton Abbey, came in at number two with another $14.5 million. Then at three, it was Hustlers, which enjoyed a super minimal drop of just 31.8%, making another $11.5 million. More on the weekend box office later in the show. Next up, we spoke a bit about Disney and Sony striking a new deal in order to make a third Spider-Man movie with Kevin Feige overseeing on Friday's movie talk. But what we didn't discuss that day was the fact that 2021 is going to be the MCU's first year releasing four films. We're talking about that one later in today's show as well. Now we're moving on over to that Apple story because according to Variety, Apple is planning to give its movie a brief theatrical window before they begin streaming them and the company is turning to several familiar indie distributors for help. That includes Bleecker Street, Greenwich Entertainment, and also a24. Now, let's take a look at the November issue of Empire Magazine. It's got a whole bunch of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker exclusives, and the outlet recently shared a few of those exclusives online. We got a Kylo cover, a Ray cover, and also a brand new image of the Knights of Ren. You're checking it out right now. On top of that, the outlet also has a quote from director J.J. Abrams. Here's what he said. I never found myself trying to repair anything. If I had done eight, 
I would have done things differently, just as Ryan would have done things differently if he had done seven. But having worked on television series, I was accustomed to creating stories and characters that then were run by other people. If you're willing to walk away from the thing that you created and you believe it's in trustworthy hands, you have to accept that some of the decisions being made are not going to be the same that you would make. And if you come back into it, you have to honor what's been done. All right, we're rounding out our call sheet today with a little tease of our Irishman review. I was lucky enough to attend the New York Film Festival last weekend to check out the movie, and I reviewed it with BlackFilm.com's Wilson Morales. Here's a little clip from that review. We just got out of the screening of The Irishman, and we've got a review for you right now. Of course, if you guys didn't know, this is Martin Scorsese's latest. It stars Robert De Niro as Frank Sheeran. He is a World War II veteran turned hitman, and it's about his encounters with Al Pacino as Jimmy Hoffa and also Joe Pesci as uh, a mentor figure of sorts. And it's about, <laughs> it's about how their relationships intertwine. And uh, this was, I mean, you're probably going to hear the word epic quite a bit, but this was a three and a half hour epic. You don't hear that word so often. You don't hear masterpiece in a way so often. But when you talk about Scorsese and you know what he delivers, the question is, he walked in this movie... Or the audience knew Scorsese was walking this movie like in comparison to Tiger Woods. You know how great he is, and the question is, can he deliver? You know what he can deliver, but can he deliver it? Mm -hmm. And when you have a three and a half hour movie, two things were talked about the length of the movie and the whole de aging process, and whether or not that would be a distraction to the movie and I didn't think so at all. No, not not one bit. I mean, we spoke about it extensively on Collider Video recently and some of the the most concerning concerning parts were Robert De Niro being aged down to his 20s and that is a very small portion of the movie and as it plays in the movie, I thought it worked extremely well and later on in the film, I think some of the standout qualities is with the hair and makeup design. I mean, it is just exceptionally well done, not just on De Niro, but the cast across the board. So in the end, I think the fact that this spans so many decades worked incredibly well, just from a visual perspective. And when we're talking about that three and a half hour runtime, yes, it's a lot. And I understand if that's intimidating, but I think a story like this kind of warranted it. I just couldn't believe the place I wound up in where I do not have the same mentality or outlook on life as someone like Frank. But Scorsese builds such a strong foundation for that character that he really does justify all of his decisions, right or wrong. And he just turned not just Frank, but everybody around him into fully realized characters that, that I understood. And it has that kind of lean-in effect because all their relationships are of such great value and weight in the film that you are just examining their every facial expression, wondering who's going to do what and when. And I feel like I hit a point in the movie where I was just expecting something to explode every second. You know, you walk in here, you say gangster movie, so it's a question of, like, when you see characters, at what point are they going to get clipped? You know, when are they going to get clipped and how will they get clipped? And, you know... Being told through the eyes of De Niro's character, there's an emotion component in there that he has with all of these characters, from Joe Pesci to Al Pacino to uh, um, to Anna Paquin, who plays his daughter. I mean, yeah. You know, um, there's a lot that goes in there. And granted, when you you have a long running time, you know, there are moments where you're like, okay, um, 
this could have been chopped off, but really, no. You know, he's telling a story, and sometimes a story that being told lends itself to like, okay, we can spare a few minutes. It's not mm-hmm. so much of a distraction as you would have in probably other films. And with the technology done, with the de-aging process, you could never tell. If there wasn't so much stories about the whole de-aging process, you could never tell, you know, because I think, as you mentioned before, the hair and makeup are so flawless that it grows on you. That you never paid attention as far as, you know, where the CGI in a way would come in or, you know, what would be placed in, in front of some of these actors who no longer look the same as they do from 20, 30 years ago. If you want to check out the full review that we did on The Irishman, it's up on the Collider Video YouTube channel, so you can check it out right after Movie Talk. All right. Now is the time of the show when I get to introduce my panelists, Coy and Roca. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. How were your weekends? Excellent. It is really Monday. It feels like Monday. I'm aware it's Monday. Coffee I feel is like necessary. you haven't adjusted to the 9 a.m. time yet. I, it is so... I'm aware that I'm the slowest I can possibly be here. I, everyone probably loves it. Wow, yeah. 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 This this is, is, I can hold on to this horse. I, I can ride this horse. This is a little slower horse than I'm used to. Uh, I had a good weekend. I spent uh, pretty much building Ikea furniture for me and my girlfriend. <laughs> Oh, so, yeah, I actually love doing it. I'm telling you, if I could make a business out of building IKEA furniture, I would be at least a multimillionaire. So you're not like me, where you wind up having built 99 percent of the thing and then realize there's one piece missing. Oh uh, no, no, they always have that extra piece around there somewhere to For mess the with mystery. You. I think it's Swedish humor <laughs> that they've had to put the extra one in there. So you're like, oh no, where does this go? They Watch, like mess when with you Americans. finally get a cat, all of a sudden all those pieces will disappear and you won't know where they went That's until you fair. have the, the one couch. drawer of all of the one pieces. Do you guys have that one? Drawer that's I everything do. I can. Yes. You're like maybe or like yeah. the, the disposable tools that they yes. come with. Yes. I have yes. all, they're all the same. same. So you've got five of one size Allen wrench for no reason. Well, my girl's so OCD. She makes me put it all in the bag and then write what furniture it goes to. Amazing. So we have a stack of stuff in a, in a separate cabinet. That's inspired. All bags labeled. Well, it's that's a wrap on Collider IKEA talk. <laughs> now let's go into our first panel. We've got the weekend box office. So we ran down it a little earlier. Abominable topped the sh- the charts here. But what was the standard? that movie this weekend for both of you was it abominable for either of you certainly abominable i i think it's fantastic i mean i did the junket and of course uh, uh got to know the people who made the film going on a, a, a studio visit so for me i had a special like i don't know connection to the film and cheering it on from the sidelines and it's such a sweet sweet movie and with everything that's happening in our world and everything and the more harder edge stuff that's coming into our entertainment it's nice to remember that there are movies that can be as you guys said before we started the show warm and fuzzy yeah. and happy and fun and i also love the fact that this is an all asian voice cast because they wanted to keep this an all asian voice cast to appeal to that culture and to keep it correct you know chloe bennett being half asian it's all works so well and on the heels of crazy rich asians you're seeing okay this is now becoming a block of uh people that has to be uh, listened to paid attention to and is showing box office success with so this is fantastic overall and i think it's i think it's been a labor of love for jill colton for so many years to see it come out this way uh is great and it's i think it's the third original film to top number one in the box office this year along with good boys and us so that's a positive uh and uh i was reading scott mendelson's breakdown of this last night on forbes and he talked about how these dreamwork animation films have uh, longer legs. And so Mm -hmm. this could have a longer leg Mm -hmm. for a while. And they only put in 40% of the budget. 
So we'll see. I mean, Adam's family's around the corner. Frozen 2 is only a couple of months away, but we'll see how much legs it has. But I'm just happy at number one, at least for a week. Adam's family has me slightly concerned. Yeah. So I think Abominable <laughs> is in fair. very good shape this weekend with Joker being the only new wide release. But the second mm. Adam's family rolls in, and especially with the Halloween ties to Adam's yeah. family, I'm worried that it's going to eat into Abominable's numbers. Because, I mean, I think this movie is phenomenal. Mm. And I think it's just the ultimate crowd pleaser. I walked in, like I said last week, I walked in. Not not so happy for a very specific reason and I walked out feeling feeling great and it's like one of those movies that sends you out the door like you can achieve anything and you, you love everyone kind of thing and who doesn't like leaving a theater with that feeling? It's so yeah. tricky for DreamWorks to release it like before an actual Halloween movie in the fall but have to be so far away from Frozen because yeah. it's also a winter like it's a really tricky time so I'm glad I agreed they got it's number one now because by the time it gets to those other giant titans of animation it's going to be tricky and the counter programming is perfect because mm-hmm. yeah. next week Joker no no one's gonna be like, well, I gotta pick between these two. Like, you know, if you're yeah. going to the theater, you're not gonna have that yep. indecisiveness. It's one or the other. Well, that was one of the fascinating things on the studio visit was uh, Jill spoke about that. How they have to angle dates now for these animated films in ways that they never could before. Remember, yeah. these things take years to make, so it's a little more difficult to pick a weekend and stick to that weekend and hope it all works out. So the fact that this is all this all now is a new level of thinking about these animated films makes this uh, even more incredible of an achievement it's that they a, got it right. It's a more crowded marketplace yeah, than very, ever, whether yeah. we're talking about the output of animated films, the number of Marvel films we get over the course of the years as they progress, yeah. or if we're talking about all the competition streaming services it's just it's not the same game as it was even like 10 years ago to find the right release yeah. slot yeah. one a quarter like like three years in advance of release yeah uh mine this week is ad astra uh number five i was really impressed made another 10 million it is a very ponderous very different movie it's unlike most things so i'm really glad it's getting an audience because i watched it and i enjoyed it but i definitely left wondering who else it was for it's way more 2001 a space odyssey like pace than most films nowadays it's also uh, like a one-man show for many chunks of time so brad pitt's performance is incredible but it's a very different kind of movie and when they advertised it the trailers felt like the movie but then the cutscenes didn't mm. i remember they played one of those like action set pieces with the, the the moon attack with the base and everything else and it made it look like a halo movie like it was a very different tone but that's one of the only action set pieces in the entire film so i imagine it was a really hard film to advertise i'm glad the people that are seeing it are loving it and it's finding an audience because i want more movies that take their time and can be ponderous and let actors act like brad pitt got to be the actor he is in this film and it's really hard to get those movies made nowadays so I'm glad it's holding on a number five spot I'm glad it made another 10 million uh, I'm worried this kind of movie is going to happen less and less so that mid-budget film making some money made me happy yeah I would, I would agree with that because I think every every generation has their right like you could compare it to Castaway in terms of like this is just Tom Hanks by himself on an island mm-hmm. for an hour and 45 minutes you're like my god this is incredible how is this possible you, you mentioned to that was I think as strongly as people want to go and support DC or Marvel films or Star Wars films there is a strong there is a strong contingent of older film goers who want to go see these kinds of movies in the theaters yeah. to appreciate cinema and are cinephiles and want to go enjoy it. If they hear their favorite reviewers saying something positive about it, they know they can spend their money to enjoy this experience. Maybe they don't go to all the MCU films, but they'll go to this. And yeah. so there's at least a strong contingent of it. But I agree with you, and uh, Paris Face says it all. <laughs> the fact that they may be happening less and less is certainly a very real possibility. So hold on to these. And, and it's, it's a theatrical experience film. It's yes, a movie that should yeah. be... And that's and my point, God. is this movie needs to be seen as loudly and 
even as big as I saw it at the laser projector IMAX yeah. and that experience made me appreciate it actually the laser was so strong and like the experience that I saw the Joker trailer for the first time in IMAX oh, yeah. and I hadn't seen an IMAX and experience. I didn't recognize it for the first six seconds all of that New York push in I was like what's this movie I oh <laughs> and it made me read like I haven't had that experience in a long time to be like I've seen this a hundred times uh, so Ad Astra itself was such a spectacle so much scope that leaning back and just experiencing film it felt really nice to not be tied to canon like I just got mm. to watch a movie Ad Astra is a movie that played the release calendar game very very well as did Hustlers Rambo Abominable mm. it's just they all wound up being perfect counter programming <laughs> for each other and you know yeah Joker's gonna come in next weekend and it's gonna demolish the box office I don't care if it's good counter programming or not it's gonna eat into everybody's uh, mm-hmm. pile of money there but I'm glad Ad Astra got to uh, have its time to shine as much as it did. I was wondering if it was going to hold on a little stronger because especially when you bring in, you know, Hustlers into account and also Judy, which opened mm. limited this week. So Judy did pretty well. It made a little over $3 million. And when I look at all three of those movies, my FYC brain starts to go. I'm like, what does the box office hall say about their Oscar potential? And I'm still on the fence about Ad Astra. I know going into it, there was some potential buzz for Brad Pitt, but I don't know, even though it did fairly well at the box office thus far, had a decent weekend to hold, I don't think the talk is strong enough, especially mm, because we also have Brad Pitt in the mix for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I think that's the film that's mm. going to make more noise, and I think that actually might wind up overshadowing Ad Astra. So, mm. I don't know. I have a feeling that Ad Astra might be out of the race, and I'm looking forward to seeing Judy's star power rise. I think Renee Zellweger is one of my only locks thus far, and I think that that $3 million is a good sign for its theatrical run so far, and I'm hoping that they play it right. They play that platform release strategy right and just continues to build and build and build it's got the a minus cinema score good word of mouth and i think they're promoting that one right let me ask you something there were some reports saying like oh it didn't do it didn't do as well as they were hoping the friday night and then it picked up over Mm -hmm. the weekend but that makes logical sense doesn't it? it's a judy garland biopic there aren't a lot of people that are rushing out on opening night to go see a judy garland biopic it's going to pick up on the weekend when most of these people are not working Mm -hmm. and they want to come see a film and enjoy it with their family or enjoy it with their and remember Judy Garland because there's a lot of people in the 20s and 30s probably who couldn't pick Judy Garland out of a lineup you know and so it's a matter of well how many people and then know her story and pick her story up so to me this is I found this to be fascinating we can't apply the opening night uh thing to every movie yeah. you have to understand it has to apply to certain ones but then different ones don't have to have that same thing attached I to think it. different algorithms for different tones of movie yeah, I think dramas I think yeah because yeah. if you're getting out of work and you're tired going to see a, a biopic might not be your thing but waking mm. up Saturday having the day going out afternoon I sure. see like Older I, I people see, yeah like Sunday like a Sunday yeah. afternoon movie I think different moons different totalities are different weekends but I guess you could kind of say the same thing about someone who wakes up planning to see a movie on a Saturday or Sunday realizes it's a beautiful day outside and decides not to <laughs> Night. I, don't I don't necessarily believe in know if like Friday for Saturday for Sunday is a real uh, a real is way it, to, I, have, I, yeah. to discuss Judy's box office Not right everyone now. everyone plans their lives around movies? What are you talking about? Ikea or Judy. Ikea or Judy. I don't know. Right. I've got That's these bags of thinking about every weekend. That's my Sundays. All right, guys. That is our breakdown of the weekend box office. Now let's move over to this big story. Roka, you had the pleasure of discussing this hot news Friday morning. I, when I saw that, Roka, I'm like, mm. yes, you guys run with it as you so did. So lucky. So but lucky. There was so much to talk about just with Spider-Man being back in the mm. MCU in a sense that we didn't really kind of take a step back and see what this does for the big picture of the MCU release slate. And it's the fact that 2021 is going to mean we're getting four MCU films, which is 
a lot. So I guess my first question for you guys is, is it too much? I think these four films isn't too much because of the different types of movies they are. You've got Shang-Chi 1, Doctor Strange 2, Spider-Man 3, Thor 4, all coming out in sequel order, which is just fate and impressive. But I love that you've got Shang-Chi, which is going to be an origin story, so it's not going to feel like anything else that year, in my opinion. You've got a sequel to a movie that's kind of already had its sequel by having Doctor Strange be in the Avengers so heavily, and Doctor Strange is a very different character now than when we last saw him in his own solo film. He wasn't yet fully the Sorcerer Supreme through most of the film, and now he is. He's actually He's become all of these things. And the MCU has changed tone so much, Doctor Strange 2 is going to feel different. Spider-Man 3 is going to be so different because of the end of Spider-Man 2 and because of what's happened in the MCU. The stakes of this movie are higher than any of the rest because of all this, this Sony Marvel stuff being so public. And then Thor 4, a Taika Waititi film. There is nothing more different in the universe than a Taika movie. So none of the you're not going to be like, oh, Thor felt just like Shang-Chi. Oh, Spider-Man felt just like Doctor Strange. I think you can do four movies in a year as long as they're very different in their mm-hmm. polarity. And I think it, it, you don't like you don't look at Brad Pitt and go, "Oh, we just had been Once Upon a Time in Hollywood." <laughs> Ad Astra and Once Upon a Time are such different movies. You're not like Brad Pitt fatigued. I don't think superhero fatigue can set in as long as we work on keeping them different and keeping them quarterly. Very, very good point. Before you answer, yeah. Oka, I want to throw in four more titles because sure. Disney Plus is expecting to get WandaVision, Loki, What If, and also Hawkeye that year. Right. Now answer my question: <laughs> Is it too much? Here's, here's property. Here's what. <laughs> It all always comes down to quality. Can you maintain the quality? That's always what matters. There will be no superhero fatigue if you can maintain the quality. What's the number one name when you think about quality MCU? And that's Kevin Feige. So and we had this news, news break about Star Wars last week. My concern is what is his input and effort going to be into these movies and these Disney Plus TV shows that will maintain the quality? Um, I think there will be people who will say, like, oh, this feels the same as the same because they always do. Yeah. That's, those are the Mar- people who don't like the Marvel stuff. Their main complaint is it all feels the same. Even though I thoroughly, a thousand percent, million percent disagree, they feel it doesn't. The thing is this. It's not too much if you maintain the quality. Mm-hmm. And that's always the Star Wars. You could have four Star Wars movies if they're all excellent. The problem is people didn't like Solo. People had an issue with Last Jedi. So there's there's where the problem is, right? There's where the issue comes in. Force Awakens, complain, oh, it feels like they're tracing new hope. Whereas with, with these Marvel movies, they all seem to find a way to feel distinct. And the quality overall is fantastic. And there's only occasional missteps yeah. along the way. And rarely over the last few years have there been missteps. So that all speaks positively. So my question is, will Feige be able to shepherd this ship? Because remember that guy, guy, guy from Sony said he was too busy, which I never bought. But <laughs> how much will he be distracted by Star Wars if he's working on Star Wars uh, a Star Wars film, which takes a lot of effort, uh, versus what he's doing here with these uh, MCU movies. So I say it's not too much as long as the quality is maintained. So I definitely agree with both of you. I think the fact that these are all so tonally different, and as long as the quality stays high, it bodes well for these all to do well at the box office. But when we also take into account this idea that many people out there only spend so much money going to the theater, and then on top of that, it's going to be a completely different world in 2021. I know it's not that far away, but by then we'll have had Disney Plus settle in plus other streaming services so i don't know when i consider how much the landscape can change by 2021 i feel like right now i can't come up with a decent answer for any of this because our viewing habits in just this short period of time 
might be completely different. And when I think for MCU films on the big screen, mm-hmm. that kind of ties into, and I know you have a more positive outlook on this, Koi, but that ties into my view of the future, which mm. sadly I think is going to be most people only spending their money to see the big, big, big on the big screen and then still having access to the smaller movies on streaming service. But I just see that gap getting wider and wider. The AMC classics and things are doing really well, though. When you go to these movies that you don't expect to be a broad <laughs> audience, they're mm-hmm. actually bigger than I expect. When I go to a movie that I'm like, this won't be a really theater movie. Those theaters are pretty full. I think I think mid-range films are coming back in a really different way because the cheaper movies get to make with tech. Like you, It's easier to get a red now than it was five years ago. It's easier mm-hmm. to do sound design now in certain ways with technology than five years ago. And I think that as the cost of production gets cheaper, mid-range films that would have cost $40 million now cost 20 and you can get those movies made. So I think those mid-range films can exist and they won't need as much overhead by the time they come out. So I don't think it's ever going to die. I just think we need to make sure we advertise them to the right audience. I think the way it's not going to die is if certain companies rethink their distribution process. We're going to get into that a little more Mm. in story number three. I think there are solutions out there, but I think what we are seeing coming together right now just signifies the other direction. Well, see, my concerns. I watched this documentary over the weekend, the country music documentary, right? Well, on PBS, fantastic documentary, Ken Burns. But they go, the last chapter talks about what country music really blew up, which is the 80s and 90s. Massive, massive. Then as the studio, as these uh, record companies started to see they could make a lot, a lot mm. of money on country music and Garth Brooks, was sell- Garth Brooks was selling out stadiums all over the country, all over the world, they started to change their business model to only pursue the larger making artists, only pursue the artists they knew they could invest in. And, and then that's how you end up with achy, breaky heart. And you go <laughs> like, oh, this is, you're stretching it out too far. We've lost the point because in the past they would explore, they'd go to the clubs, the scouts would find these country music artists, give them a record, then they would blow up and become international sensations. This is a movie situation as well. If we start to stretch it too far out, I think what you're talking about, studios are going to only see the bottom line be invested in these larger films and not necessarily because more, not necessarily pursue award winning films because awards are rarely translating in the box office. Do you look at the Emmys ratings? Look at the Oscars ratings. This is something that should be, this is something that should scare any film lover that the studios might not be investing. No matter how cheap production is, sure. they might not want to waste any money. Mm-hmm. investing in these films that they don't see, in, in essence, a large profit coming back to them. That's what concerns me about going forward. I'm worried about like you know the A24s and the Annapurnas and all the companies that are making these perfect films. Yeah, which those, one those just companies... shut down? Which one just shut down? Well, Annapurna. Annapurna, right. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and that scares me because like you look at their track record, yeah. both of those companies are my... Those two production companies, whatever they make, I see. Like If they make a movie, I'm like, yeah. I don't care who's in it, I don't care who wrote it, I'm, here's my money. But the fact that those are the companies that are doing poorly... Scares me. But on the other side, as far as we're talking just Marvel, just happy thoughts, we've got four movies, two hours at a time, eight hours roughly of cinema. That's less than your average show. That's an hour at a time. So if you watch a season of a show that's 22 episodes or 23 episodes, that's 23 hours of content over the course of a year. This is only eight. Marvel movies aren't movies. That's a serialized TV show. It's a, it's a show in theaters. That's why Disney Plus is such a great idea. So I don't think we'll have too much content. It's just a matter of whether or not people will spend the money on their show they love in theaters. I don't know about that that content thing, because also when you factor in not just Marvel, but the DC film yeah. fri- franchise expanding, the Star Wars film franchise mm-hmm. expanding yeah. in more ways than one, plus every other hot series. I mean, seriously, Avatar, the Avatar, a- Avatar too. Yeah. Who, know, who knows back. where Avatar yeah. is going to be at a certain point? It's like I've been the ultimate Avatar naysayer mm. ever since they announced more films. But I don't know. I'm just like that feeling is starting to creep in that it's just going to like kick me in the ass eventually. And it's going to wind up being a phenomenon. 
phenomenon all mm. over again. But anyway, just even looking at the Emmys and all the content we yeah. have over there, that show stressed me out because of how little time I have to watch all of that. Mm-hmm. So it might be the collective time overall. But just backtracking a little bit, do you think there's a possibility that for a variety of reasons – Kevin Feige and the folks at uh, Marvel could wind up pulling one of these movies from this release calendar, or are we too close to these dates? I think they need Spider-Man to come out soon because of everything that's going on. I think it's the only one that would have wiggle because you've got the Thor movie that need. I think the Thor movie needs to exist where it does because of Guardians. And I think that Shang-Chi needs to exist where it does because it's an origin film that has like it has less wiggle. So that leaves what, what Doctor Strange. If anyone's going to move is Doctor Strange, too. But that's also the one that has the most backing. Like Scott Derrickson's taking the longest mm-hmm. time off from that. So all of them can't move for different reasons. I think Spider-Man is the most likely one to move, in my opinion. I think they could move that into Phase 4, and it wouldn't lose any steam. They could like streamline this thing, get this thing going. Because remember, Tom said recently, Tom Holland said recently, that he's already got ideas for this third one. They've okay. already got writers that were phase on board. Five. You mean Phase 5, yeah. No, I'm sorry, Phase 5. Sorry, Phase 5. Yeah, could move into Phase like, And that's the possibility uh, here. I think he's... Right, because we just finished phase four, right? So phase five. Phase phase three. Three. Look, I'm old. I'm saying he could move into phase four. I am saying that. Not phase five. Move out of phase five, which would be well, it's twenty twenty one, that'll be phase five or phase four. Phase four. four. The okay, one we're okay. talking about is phase four. Okay, so I think that if that's gonna move, that will be the one that moves uh either uh into phase five, out of the phase four situation. Because they because all these other ones have been in production longer. Right. So this phase, so if it moves out, it can move out into phase five. And I don't think that's uh, out of the realm of possibility because they may want to set some more stuff up here in phase four that Spider-Man has to play into it. And especially if they're starting to focus on a possibly young Avengers situation, Spider-Man will have something to do with but that. But that's their billion dollar movie and that's their youngest audience. That's that's the one that's appealing right. to the John Hughes demographic, but for the kids today. So if yeah. you move it another year, a year in teen life is five years in adult life. Yeah, sure. As far as your audience. I get what you're saying, but also but like you also want to go, you also want to go you've already worked on these. You've already had these in production. Yeah. You're already setting up storylines. You have already planned on moving forward possibly without Spider-Man. Sure. So just go there. If you if any of them are going to move, which I don't think is going to happen, I think Spider-Man is the most likely contender because it's starting later than the other ones. Unless there's an unforeseen production challenge, I actually think all four of these are going to stay firmly mm. put. I think, sure. going back to what I was saying before about the changing landscape and everything, this is the year to make a stand and look at these dates, especially after the success of Black Panther. They want that February date carved out. Then mm-hmm. you have the kickoff of summer with the beginning of May. Then you have Midsummer, where Spider-Man has already proven to be a success. Then you have November, where Thor has already proven mm, to be a success. the perfect year for them. They have carved that out, and I think that based on how all four of these movies do in 2021, they're then going to take all that data and reassess their plan going forward. So I think having four movies on big, big dates in this particular year is perfect timing to make sure that they're priorities going forward are right. If I have a film coming out in 2021, I'm scared. Oh, terrified. I'm yeah. terrified. That I'm all any money. Money. I in the next. Every yep. post-credit scene is going to give the next one a little bit more money. The, the Spider-Man made over a billion because of Avengers. These movies are all going to help each other grow. And there's only a three-month gap between the longest one, I believe. Yeah. And I remember we talked earlier this year on Movie Talk, Perry. We were talking about how people weren't spending money on these other films in January and February. They were waiting for Captain Marvel. Then all this money came out. And it's like, oh, okay. So people have it to spend. They're just picking certain ones to spend it on. And other films are, are being sacrificed in the process and that's what would scare me in 2021. Oh boy. And then yeah. Disney Plus at home. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and that's what we're going to talk about next. Alright, guys. As the MCU lineup continues to come into form over the next, I don't even know how many years at this point, we're going to cover it right here on Movie Talk. <laughs> so, before I move over to the next panel, 
two things to cover right now. We're taking your live chat questions at the end of the show, so start sending them in right now. Also, there is more great content coming to the Collider YouTube channels later today. Like these shows. Check it out. I'm Coy Jondro here at Golden Apple Comics in the heart of Hollywood with Kevin Smith himself. Oh my Look. God, that's striking. Look at what I could do with a camera. She's like, it's a movie. And I was like, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> He's an angel. We can do anything we want. Anyone that knows this man's work knows the best place to be with him is in a comic book store. I am so excited. We're about to do some sweet, sweet comic book shopping. You ready? I'm ready to spend. Hey guys, Riley here, and let me tell you about Rule of Two. You looking for a Star Wars fix? Well, Rule of Two is that show. It drops in on Collider Video's main YouTube channel, as well as on Podcast One's Jedi Council feed. So go over there, subscribe, share it with your friends. It's hosted by myself and Mark Fernandez. We talk everything in the Star Wars universe with a lot of deep dives and a lot of conversations that go all in. You know what to do. Subscribe, join us there, and rise. All right, let's move on over to our Apple conversation right now. And just to recap a little, so what Apple is doing is they're exploring the idea of giving their original movies a theatrical release. And right now we know that they're working with three different companies in order to make that happen on films that they're working on right now. And just to let you know what those are, Bleecker Street will consult on the release of the movie The Banker. That one hits theaters on December 6th, and it stars Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson. Then we have Greenwich Entertainment advising on the release of Apple's Sundance acquisition, Hala, which stars Geraldine Viswanathan. And then on top of that, A24 will consult on the release of the wildlife documentary The Elephant Queen. So... Taking a look at this strategy right now, which I don't think we've seen too much from streaming services, especially with just the battles that are raging on with streaming services and uh, the theater owners as far as the release windows go. Do you think that Apple is kind of angling itself a little better than uh, maybe even Netflix? I feel like Netflix is going to have to restructure with the Irishman. They're going to have to change their whole perspective. And I think, likewise, theaters are going to have to restructure what their tolerance is for these things happening. If you're trying to keep theaters alive, you really don't have a leg to stand on to be like, no, no, not at the Irishman. So I think this year we're going to see a lot of changes no matter what. And then Apple's coming from a position of having money. They're not borrowing money. They're not at a deficit. They're not in a loss. They're a billion-dollar company that can just be like, well, we're going to do it our way. If you'd like that, then please. But if not... I just feel like they've, you know, with their with their $500 surcharge iPhones, they can have a little bit more bandwidth than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Going back to the beginning of Netflix, mm-hmm. I definitely believe the mentality that is going to send some of these streaming services soaring and other ones kind of lagging behind is whichever one finds the different strategy that works. I mean, Netflix was one of the first of its kind to do what it did and look yeah. where it is now. I feel like if maybe this is the move that makes a difference as far as getting original streaming movies on the big screen, this is finally something Something that could give Apple a little bit of a leg up on the competition when thus far in my mind, 
Apple is the streaming service that seems like it's my lowest priority, but this is the first thing that I'm hearing that I'm like, okay, like you got something here. Well, that's the thing, right? Uh, I liken, there's a term out there in the world called power move, and this is what you call a power move. Uh, Apple does not need to play in the sandbox with Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu. Uh, Apple it has its own sandbox, mm-hmm. and it's a very large sandbox <laughs> with a lot of sand, a lot of new toys. Pristine white sand yeah, and pristine, a beautiful black sleek box. It's the rich kid that shows up at <laughs> Cool. You're like, oh my god, wow! And he has all the toys. He or she has all the toys. They have all the great benefits. That's the thing. Apple's playing at a whole nother level. Apple's coming out as a movie studio, not as a streaming service, as a movie studio. They'll drop stuff in already. They're making deals to drop stuff in the theater. Consulting situations. They have that IMAX uh, guy in charge of their distribution stuff, so he, know, he understands how to work uh, the uh, landscape of the of uh, theater distribution. So it's all there for them. And this, to me, is their way of going. Look. I know you you want us to work on the timetable of Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. That's cute. We have our own timetable, and it's a big-time timetable. And we're going to make money here. We're going to win awards here. And we're going to be a premier service that you don't even consider to be in the realm of Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu. And that's a strong move. If this is how you come out, if people are waiting for you to do something, because all these people on these websites that like collide on other websites, people have been saying like, oh, wh- why is Apple TV not doing anything? Why haven't they announced? Why? And then it's like, boom. And it's like, okay, got it. <laughs> how long till streaming servers start buying theaters? Uh, I think that's in uh, Netflix. I think there've been there've been rumors that Netflix, Netflix is moving Netflix, well. Netflix has the Egyptian, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and, they and they the also have like that IPIC deal. But I mean, we'll see what happens yeah, with, as IPIC changes with yeah. Chapter Eleven. But I think Apple might be the first one that's like here is an Apple theater because yeah. they've been talking about Apple TV forever. I could see that's them being the most dangerous. I'm like picturing an Apple theater that looks a little bit like an Apple glass front. You just walk in. They're like, here's the genius bar. I'm telling you right now, as we become less and less desirous, or how can I say this? We become more and more fussy when we're in movie theaters yeah. it would not be another own possibility for an apple theater to be a singular booth where you are just in there with headphones you know, and yeah. nobody talks it's a little years pod years that ago, like an airpod years, years ago during one of my first movie talk appearances that was a, a question i think a twitter question we got and that is what i described put me in like my own personal little pod where i yeah. can plop dewey on my lap and let myself in quiet with no cell phones around me experience a movie hey, hey guys, <laughs> soundproof we, booth we just described wally <laughs> yeah well it's all over Society's crumbling. When you say that, the weird thing, like that's like the position I picture myself in. It's a Pixar soda right next to Disney owns it, Apple owns it, Pixar. It's all just one big thing. These theaters already have the reclining leather seat that essentially makes you feel like you're. And that happened in no time. Anyway, yeah, in no time. And like it'll be the public wanted it. Yep. And iPick has pods. I think it's a two-person pod. You're sharing a little bubble where you're here, and they bring you things, and you're already getting food if you go to the Draft House experience. They are literally have a waiter or waitress comes over takes your order and brings you your food and drink in the middle of the movie seven years from wally yeah. oh, less right. than that maybe right. less I'm than optimistic. that let's not let's not get too far ahead of ourselves in such a disturbing manner let's flip this around a little bit so we've kind of covered what this could do for apple as a uh, movie studio mm. and a distributor what about some of these smaller companies like bleaker street greenwich entertainment 824 because in that marvel story we were just discussing the possibility of big screen priorities being the most expensive franchise movies out there mm. are arrangements like this something that could make a difference for some of these smaller distributors big drug dealers need street level people Ooh, so you okay. got your you got your money <laughs> and right. then you got your a24 staying we alive there. We so but there. like i think it's the 
move to keep A24 open is to make sure Jimmy on the corner's got his money. So I think the answer is having A24 stay alive to make their indie films by having the mega conglomerates be like, here's some money to keep you open. And I think it's great for everybody because I want more A24. I want more Annapurna. And if that means they have to go to the man, they go to the man. Maybe not the healthiest analogy, yeah. but it, it makes some sense. It's, you understand. It's direct. Coy's, it's uh, a path we all know. Coy's got a path. That's all I'll say. I'm just saying it's a linear path. It all, we've seen it work before. Sure. <laughs> Look, I, don't know. I don't know how to follow that up. All I can say is this. I think it's great for these studios to get. Because also, what is the thing you think about when you think about Apple is highest quality products. Yeah. Right. Do you have issues occasionally? Sure. But they, those Apple stores, those are like just incredible walk-ins. They recently took care of a couple things for me from my MacBook Pro. They're in great service. They really pride themselves on a certain kind of customer service and a certain kind of satisfaction from you. Agreed. And their products being the highest end products you can get, which is why they charge top dollar. So these studios being attached to Apple will infer that kind of feeling amongst uh, moviegoers and fans, right? Yeah. That feeling, oh, we're getting top quality product from Bleecker Street, top quality product from these other studios. In, and subconsciously, people will connect the brand to that brand and then attach the meaning of one brand onto the other brand. So it makes a lot of sense for these studios, and they stay alive, and there's money here to fund their project. As you said, Coy, if these productions go cheaper, yeah. then Apple certainly has money to spend and try things out. Uh, I love this idea that advising capacity. This is mm-hmm. fantastic. Outsourcing how, expertise is brilliant. Yeah, and it's big time again. Yeah. Like, oh, we're please come advise mm-hmm. on something we've already done. That's a power again, power move. So well, to me that works. With what you just said with uh Folks out there looking at one brand one way and then applying that thought to another brand that they align themselves with. A24 is a genius company to have a five film deal with, especially given the fact that Mm -hmm. this year they have so much that could be up for awards. A24 could be Apple's way to get itself into the Oscar uh, conversation way sooner than, let's say, Netflix and Amazon have done. It's a win-win because you get all the accolades and you get the knowledge of what they don't have knowledge of, but you keep all of your money, your expertise. So both sides win in every way and I think that more companies are going to start doing this we're going to see more of these like in association with look at that black and white video they did or film they did with uh, when they first announced Apple TV and this like all these people Spielberg all this this is where they're playing at so to me I'm like the Oscars thing is so much in the realm of possibility within within five years, if not less, for Apple you TV. You the 84 Apple commercial in 1984? Yeah. No, 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 no. The, the, the latest commercial they did to announce Apple TV, they had all these people mm. talking about oh, films. Yeah. Yes, yes, it yes. was in black and white, and it was done like a mini movie. And yeah. you're like, wow, this is where they're at. So from, for what you're saying, Perry, absolutely, I think an Oscars, an, a Best Picture Oscar for Apple TV, who knows? They may do it before any of the streaming services do it. Wouldn't that be incredible? Well, they just Net- leap ahead Netflix five years. Netflix already done it, and I think they're going to do it again this year. Well, yeah, that, yeah, is, yeah. that is my prediction. I think uh, we're going to be oh, talking a lot about the Irishman mm. over the next couple of months. Good point. All right. It's like Perry knows something we don't. Well, I saw, <laughs> the, I saw, saw the movie. Yeah. I'm allowed to say it. I don't have to keep it, it, knowledge I I don't know to keep it a secret. I'll, I'll tell you right now. I think it's, uh, and there's probably categories that I'm not thinking of off the top of my head right now. I think it's going to get a Best Picture nomination. Best Actor, maybe two Best Supporting Actor nominations. I think uh, screenplay is in consideration mm-hmm. there, and definitely editing. And Best Director. Um, Do you think yeah. Best Director No, Best Director, too. Is I there an intermission? See, uh, no. Not, not in the screen that I wow. experienced. Wow. Shockingly, and you know, just to paint a picture for you mm-hmm. for how I saw The Irishman, 
got on a flight, a red eye from L.A. to New York, went straight from the airport after I landed to go see a three and a half hour movie at Lincoln Center. I was sure I was in trouble whether I liked the movie or not. Did not feel my eyelids get heavy for a second and also never felt the urge to get up and use the restroom. That's incredible. That's high praise. I was locked in and it did not feel like a three and a half hour. It felt like a three and a half hour experience in that it was a a very full story, a very full character study. But I was not getting antsy in the least. I love that we're leaving runtime like expectations. I love that movies aren't necessarily 90 minutes for an animated film, two hours for a film. I love Mm -hmm. that movies can be, how much story do you want to tell? I don't have to curb that for expectations because directors had to so many, like you watch a director's cut of a movie and you're like, what could have been? We could have had this movie. And I'm glad that with streaming, we now get to have the experience that the Mm -hmm. the story entails. And this is a movie, this is a story that calls for a longer running time because it needed an epic feel. It's just the way that it tackles you know, timing and aging and how we assess our behavior in the moment compared to how we assess our behavior when we look back on yeah. it. it. It all just ties together so beautifully and it needed like the constant building of its foundation in order to like really hit the end like it, like it needed to and, and it does and I freaking loved it. Let me clarify something. You were saying earlier when we were just talking the best picture. Netflix hasn't won a best picture, have No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. Apple TV, that's what I was trying to clarify. Apple TV yeah, yeah. will win best picture okay. before, before everybody else. Streaming services. I think that's certainly in the With who they're teaming up with, I could absolutely see right. that and what better way to, to solidify themselves as part of the game by winning the game and then being like by the way we caught up right and by the way I may be completely wrong because Irishman could win so to you see know, that I, would be the well, Netflix that was, that was the yeah. only thing that was going to make me push pause on that comment yeah. but we'll, yeah. we'll wait and see and we're going to know a little more when it hits select theaters at the beginning of November and then also on Netflix late November oh, alright we're winding down now, but let's get at least... <laughs> I like, just woke up. All right, let's try for one Twitter question and right. see what happens with this conversation, because I did want to talk about this. Dan Allen wants to know, how will the new Kingsman movie tie into the Kingsman franchise? Let's answer that, but also, what do you guys think of the uh, Kingsman trailer? Because it's <sighs> phenomenal. <laughs> Balls out awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, I said this one in my tweet. This is... I love occasionally muscular action flicks. This feels that way. Not muscular in terms of weights. Muscular in terms of like, boom! Like, come enjoy this thing. We're going to have fun. And this, the fact that it's set in the period of World War One is exciting as mm-hmm. well. I get the Wonder Woman comparisons. We're allowed to do other World War One movies <laughs> that are action. So I like that it's there and I enjoy that it's a good cast and it feels like a prequel and it certainly washes for those of you who didn't like the second one, and I was on the fence about it, it certainly washes that out of your mind and makes it feel like we're entering a whole new world in Kingsman. And it, with Ray Fiennes anchoring yeah, this, good. it's oh. just brilliant. And everybody involved, Gemma Arterton, Jamin Huntsu, playing a character he's played many times before, but it still <laughs> works. The way that Vaughn has paced this trailer and paced, and I'm sorry, um, paced the movie, you can feel that through the trailer, and I'm excited for that. If you've got a comic movie, put Jamin Huntsu in it. That's the answer. Yeah. Uh, I like that the trailer feels like Matt Vaughn. Uh, I think he's one of the most consistent directors working today, mm-hmm. even his foible even his stumbles are not bad yeah. like even uh, Kingsman 2 is one of his weaker films for me but like Layer Cake and X-Men First Class is one of the best X-Men movies to I date I haven't thought about uh, Layer Cake in forever Layer Cake's mm-hmm. incredible like everything Matt Vaughn does for me is, is near perfect and Guy Ritchie, I think, is is an incredible director, but he's polarizing. Sometimes his movies dip, and then sometimes they ascend. Mm. I'm a King Arthur defender. I know. I'm sorry. Why? But I know. It's so good. It's <gasps> like taking LSD with Guillermo del Toro, that movie. So uh, the, the movie itself, and like the pace of these films is so incredible, and Matt Vaughn doing a period piece allows him to play with continuity, so I think the legacy is going to be you get to plant some seeds to where the Kingsman come from without messing with continuity, and I think Kingsman 2 suffered from being a direct sequel. So you get your cake, you eat it, too. you get your layer cake, and you eat 
hate it too. By doing, the Kingsman, <laughs> by doing the Kingsman play, but having it be removed from the last ones, and then you don't have to worry about all the, the mess of the second mm. one that's set up. All the things that you guys just said. So I, I can't wait for this movie. This looks so exciting to me. I want to get one more question, though, from a KZOG who wants to know, do you think Little Monsters is going to hurt Zombieland 2 at the box office? I think nothing will hurt Zombieland 2 at the box office. I do. I think Maleficent <laughs> will hurt Zombieland uh, 2 at the box oh, office. Oh, I forgot they were that yeah. close. I, I don't know why I was so surprised to see those projections the other week, but the fact that Maleficent was so, so much higher than Zombieland, mm. even though I think the Zombieland projections are on par with the first film's opening weekend yeah. numbers, but I don't know. In my mind, Zombieland has always been the better movie, and also the more the more important important movie or not not important but the movie that was was spoken about at least within my circle of friends oh yeah it's yeah, like huge you but it's be, a film kid movie right but that's what to lose you right you think blade runner 24 down is gonna blow the doors off yeah all your friends talk about blade runner and then it's like Ooh. but i i think with Zombieland, it knows its audience it's going right for mm-hmm. it it's bringing everybody back got the same vibe and the projections that i agree those are those make a lot of sense to me maleficent is disney it's a whole other yeah. game you know i, I and, think it's good counter programming but it's at the end of the day a live action disney film so there's no there's like number two is going to be down here to number yeah, one yeah, yeah. and that's just what's gonna be yeah but uh as far as little monsters go the comparison is spot on not necessarily because little monsters is getting a big release i think that's gonna wind up doing fairly well mm. i i think it's getting very few like select theaters limited theaters it's gonna be more of a streaming play for neon but they are both zombie movies that are, you know, they're horror comedies. They're right in line. So I have a feeling a lot of folks out there, if you go see Zombieland 2 and you have a lot of fun with that vibe, then go home and watch uh, Little Monsters because Little Monsters is fantastic I think it'll help well. Little Monsters more than it'll hurt Zombieland. Because Zombieland is going to be the movie that we've waited 10 years. It's got the stars have only grown. Emma Stone was not an unknown, but she was like Emma Stone. Now she's Emma Stone. Right. So I think it's only grown in the 10 years. So I think it'll help Little Monsters more than it'll hurt Zombieland. There you go. Unless some people out there, sorry, I'm just looking up the Little Monsters release information. Unless, um, unless some folks out there decide they don't want to schlep to the theater to see Zombieland uh, two and instead stay home and watch I forget Little that, Monsters. Mark. I, I'm always such a theater guy. I forget about that. Like I love the actual experience. So that could be a thing. That's fair. Yeah, Roke. I was hoping you would talk, so I had enough time to find oh, this information. Uh, but you didn't. Zombieland. <laughs> uh, there. Uh, uh, All right, I got it. Sorry, <laughs> I like to be so, invited to a Joker uh, screening. That's what I'm yeah. Appar- <laughs> apparently, it, it opens in theaters on November 15th. It doesn't necessarily say a specific amount of theaters right here, so I don't know if it's going wide or not. But, it, uh, it I mean, it's a great time at the theaters, and I highly recommend anybody going to see it who mm-hmm. is interested in seeing it. There's still no, there's no theater count. So Downton Abbey really did well. Wednesday the 9th on Box Office Mojo, it's, it doesn't give me a uh, theater count yet, but it is, you know, highlighted in a way that I would suggest it be limited. It's October tomorrow. That scares me, but oh November's not, I just, <gasps> yeah, that moment just happened at me. I was oh, like, November's so far picked, away. No. Yeah. I still haven't picked a, a horror Twitter name. Oh no. I have 12 I've hours. Got work to do. All right. I'm going to get on that. And I'm also going to say goodbye to my wonderful <laughs> panelists, Koi and Roka. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Good kicking off the week. Yes. And Adam in the booth, Dorian in the live chat, thank you so much for your hard work. To everybody out there, thank you for watching this Monday edition of Collider Movie Talk. Don't forget, Collider Live goes live at 10 a.m., so head on over there after this, and then tune in tomorrow, 9 a.m. Pacific, for a brand new episode of Movie Talk. Napa know-how.
This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash. Like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP. But don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. General States pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. It's that little chico pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game. So that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 